0: The Property Crowd. Hello and welcome to The Property Crowd. Leaders, a part of the Leaders Romans Group, one of the UK's largest and most successful estate and lettings agencies, specialising in lettings and buy to let investments as well as residential sales. The company was founded in 1983 and has grown huge since then. In this episode, we focus on the ever changing role of the landlord. And we're joined by Michael Cook, Group Managing Director of LRG, Mark Jacomin, who's the Policy and Guidance Manager at LRG, and Kate Faulkner, property expert and founder of Designs on Property. Hello to everybody. Let's start with you, Michael. Your company, what in the 40th year now uh, in the industry? That in itself is is a landmark, right? And how has that role of a landlord changed in that time?
1: A lot, in a nutshell. I mean, almost on a daily basis, as a landlord, you're receiving. And having to interpret different pieces of legislation, we're now up to the heady heights of 168 laws uh, to let a property, which lay out around 400 plus rules and regulations for landlords to abide by. So, quite a, uh, a number of. Uh, Of policies, procedures, rules, regulations to navigate their way through.
0: Yeah, and I guess, Mark, I mean, like all bureaucratic legislation, these things perhaps start off with good intent, where somebody says, hang on, this is largely unregulated, we need a few rules around it, and then the the various characters and the boffins in government and various other groups and quangos come in, and they say, we need another regulation for this, and then before you blink, you've got 168 laws and 400 new rules, so this sounds pretty cumbersome by anybody's standards
2: it is and it is a challenge for for landlords uh, to to keep up with this ever-changing sort of landscape it's it's very problematic because what you don't want to do as a landlord is be caught out on a technicality just because there's been a minor change so it, as, a, as an example the amendments to the smoke and carbon monoxide alarm act are going to be effective from the 1st of october 2022 the original legislation has been kicking around since 2015 so that, again, is just a little shift in dynamic that landlords have to factor in.
0: Yeah. And, Kate, do you think landlords are are aware of most of this? Because, you know, we all know, and we'll... we'll... Cross all of these areas uh, in, in this episode. But, you know, a lot of people are accidental landlords, right? You know, they, they inherit a house or they may have just diligently saved and thought, I'll get a second property as a kind of a pension. Uh, they're not a big business. They're not looking at it like that. They know somebody in the local pub who wants to rent a place and they rent it out to them. They don't really see anything to do beyond that.
3: Yeah, that's exactly it and i hear that kind of case study almost every day of the week and i think the kind of issues are is that we the the complexity of it is enormous because we have different rules in Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and England. Uh, And in England, that gets even more complicated because each local authority, particularly when it comes to houses in multiple occupation, where people share rooms, they can have their own rules too. And on top of that, looking at it from a landlord's eyes, if you only get your information from what you read in the media, the problem is, is that a change might be proposed then that will be discussed at length with lots of headlines about what might happen. Then amendments are typically made. Then there's more discussion in the headlines. And then the bill might be scrapped or adopted. And that mm. can take place over three or more years. And things like COVID, during COVID, there was something like 47, four, four, seven, 47 changes to regulations. If you are working full time, I actually don't believe you can keep up with it. And even myself, when I left a property, I, I engaged an agent, a good quality agent, because at the end of the day, I knew I couldn't keep up with this, and I was far far away from the property. But it's just too complicated. It really yeah. is.
0: It's a good job we've got a quality agent uh, with us, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, my, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, Michael, just on that point, uh, as I mentioned to Kate there, I mean, the difficulty in you know, let's say for arguments of the average person, you know, who isn't, they don't have a massive portfolio of properties. They they, they simply have one, maybe two, uh, but they're not looking at this like a, you know, a huge business. It's just a few quid pension wise in that respect. And, and yet you are expected to keep up with the same regulations as somebody who owns 20,000 properties.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. It's, um, uh, I've run, in contrast, just as sort of an acid test. I've run one by to let with myself to keep my finger on the pulse, and um, another property with, uh, needless to say, part of the, the the LRG group for obvious reasons, and just so I could kind of stress test, you know exactly, you know what was required of me as an individual versus what pressure was taken off off me. Um, uh, if I'd appointed an agent, and, and there was a notable difference, uh, and, and actually another factor—I know we're here to talk about legislation—but another factor I found was uh, was interesting. Well, I found it far easier to um, uh, keep my rents tracking in line with the market if I used if I used an agent because I I ended up with one of my properties getting quite a, you know a good relationship with um, with the tenant that had been there for sort of many years, and I found it really difficult to put the rent up just because it's a thorny a thorny issue you don't want to go into a negotiation with someone you fundamentally got a good relationship with and I just thought that was an interesting dynamic that it ended up when I went when they did leave and I ended up reletting it. You know, it was it was way it was way off the market rent. So I just thought that was a, an interesting one to sort of throw in as well.
0: And I guess, Kate, there's rules and regulations uh, that are out there, but then there's rules and regulations that will cost the landlord. It's one thing adhering to them. It's another that you might have to pay big bucks, which, of course, ultimately comes off the, the, the profit you're hoping to make.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just not applying the gas safety regulation correctly, that could be £6,000 fine. It's not just, fines, it's just landlords are getting uh, jailed now or having suspended sentences. You've got breach of electrical safety rules £30,000. Lots on HMOs. Loads of people getting caught out not having a license um, or not adhering to uh, what are quite strict rules and regulations with regards to fire safety and things like that. Um, but even, you know, if you're letting yourself and you don't know the right to rent rules, so that you've got to check your tenant is legal allowed to to let in this in this country you're looking at thousand pounds for those so it's it's so easy for people to get tripped up and then again rather than fines and being jailed if you don't supply the right information to a tenant right at the start you they might stop paying their rent and if you haven't supplied that Mm. right information you may not be able to evict them um, and that, and that's where it's it's landlords can so easily get tripped up unless you are really into this or you have some way of keeping up with all the legal legislation. Because you only have to go into hospital for a couple of weeks or on holiday for a couple of weeks. By the time you come back, something will have changed and you'll have missed it. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy to try and keep up, um, you know, by yourself.
0: Yeah. Uh, on that point, Mark, I mean, Kate says it's crazy. It's a, you could even argue it's almost impossible.
2: Yeah, I think it's amazingly challenging. Um, obviously, Kate touched on the sort of the health and safety aspects because they're hugely important. But licensing, they can be individual fines up to £30,000. And if they don't pay the fines of prison sentence, I think a common thing I think with uh, is actually the tenant deposit that it needs to be registered within a certain time with a a deposit scheme provider, miss that window and they run the risk of it going to court and having three times the amount of the deposit levied against them uh, if they haven't followed protocol. So if you're like a central London landlord and you've got really high rents, your deposit's going to be massive. Imagine paying three times that. It's just you don't have that in your budget to to have these taken out. Um, And what's interesting on top of that as
1: well, Mark, just building what Mark and Kate said there, is that these technical points... you know tenants are becoming more and more aware of them as well so you can if you if you haven't wired a deposit correctly or you haven't applied for the right licensing either whether it be you know hmo sort of mandatory licensing additional licensing selective licensing because there's obviously lots of different types of licensing now if you haven't applied and the tenants are aware and you might go and ultimately uh, the tenant might have cause problems, you know, not clean the property, and, and you look to make a claim against deposit as a landlord. And I have seen it happen an, a number of times where the tenant will come back and go, actually, this isn't a licensed property or or you didn't bond the deposit within 30 days. And they applied to the court, for so a, a rent repayment order, and that's a mm. year's worth of rent that effectively I've seen happen, has to be repaid by the landlord. So it's not just fines and imprisonment, which obviously civil fine has been increased to 30,000 now for lots of things, Uh, but you can actually have a a rent repayment order made uh, as well. So just to add insult to injury, you you don't want to be caught out on a technical point when fundamentally you've been a good landlord, maintained the property well, uh, you look to make a legitimate claim on a deposit and you end up paying out tenfold of what you 're initially claiming for, which is a, a, quite a tough one to take.
3: That's been promoted a lot as well. and I think even some of the local councils <laughs> showing tenants the way to get their rent repayment orders is, is really harsh.
2: I think what's interesting, there's also been a trend with councils using the Proceeds of Crime Act to actually reclaim rental income from landlords who haven't followed licensing criteria as well. And. You know, that's proper legal enforcement. There's no escaping that if they hit you with that again, prison sentence if you don't pay it.
0: Wow. So because you didn't adhere to, you know, Rule 136, Paragraph 7, Amendment 2, your income therefore is seen as proceeds of crime.
2: Yeah, and that's the way they've done it, to try and and get money back as a deterrent.
0: Because
2: there was a recent case, I think, it was a short let... Sort of holiday let rather than you know private rental sector fully uh, as you'd normally expect, but the council he he, he hadn't abided by the planning application, he would breached licensing conditions, and they've applied proceeds of crime act, and I think it was something like two hundred and thirty thousand pounds for someone that was basically trying to run short lets and holiday lets within sort of you know with with seven flats. So whatever wow. money that chap made has gone right out the window, um, and he needs to pay it back.
3: I think all you ever have to do, if you if you doubt any of this, just pop in landlord fines and jail <laughs> to Google, and there I like three years ago, four years ago, you'd have hardly found anything, uh, and now there is are page after page, and the amounts are going up astronomically
0: i bet that's some inspiring bedtime reading isn't it <laughs> that's Google. quite fun <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously
3: not for the landlords involved
0: i mean let's talk about how landlords can survive this this on sort of legislation and as you've mentioned the fines and potentially uh, even prison there uh as well michael it does seem that there's a you know, perhaps you know a collective group of landlords. Is there a collective noun for landlords? Maybe there should be. But a group of landlords would say, "Hang on, this now looks like to anyone else. This looks like you know we're an easy target here. We're a sitting duck."
1: Yeah, I, I mean, look, as Mark and Kate have just said, councils are restricted on on funding themselves, so a lot of them use these fines to sort of subsidise their own housing policy. So they are going to places where you know they deem can afford it and and is is relatively easy pickings but yeah, it is that's i suppose the topic of this this you know this podcast is it's becoming increasingly difficult and as kate said earlier if you're not sort of fully in this immersed as a sort of full-time professional landlord where you've got the time dedicated to read up on 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 this information which is available you know it is available but it's just finding the time you can obviously de-risk it by employing others you can't outsource the risk completely but you can gain advice and you can you know you you can get professionals to take some responsibility for for completing these works and making sure that your eicr is done in a timely manner that your gas safety is done once a year that your notice is served in in the right way if you need to regain possession so you know there are options out there whether you fully employ an agent or you employ an employ an agent or a professional to do certain parts of the management you know really depends on how much time you've you've got but there are ways you can you can clearly mitigate this
3: yeah. and just just to give a sort of context i we, we write a lot about uh, legals or tax or whatever it is and the two areas where I have expert help on legal and the tax side, because they are so complicated. And on the legal side, I probably have a good five experts that I work with to make sure I've got it 100% right. Because the issue with legals that I've learned, if you like, over the years, is that you can have, you can read something in the paper or you can look online, and you can get an idea of what the law might be. But the devil's always in the detail. And that's where you often get caught out. And I'll be honest now, there's some stuff we write and we've done all our due diligence, and I've worked in the market for a long, long time, but we missed a bit because we're not legally qualified and we're not doing this on a day to day basis. So I now, I think last two years, just because it just, I, I like to sleep at night. Everything I write, certainly that has a legal or or a tax connotation, I will actually get that checked by an expert that is doing this day in and day out, and that has insurance.
0: <laughs> I mean, that is it, isn't it? Surely, if you yeah. are, I mean, is there is there any other logical option? And unless, of course, somebody financially can't withstand that ongoing help, Michael.
1: I still think buy-to-let is a is a you know is a really good asset class if you do it right so if you bought if you buy right at the start you do your homework on the area there's still some good i mean we've seen hpi and 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 rental price you know increases in the last 12 months as you know as high as i can as i can remember so you know there, there are some really good yields in the market and as i said i think it's a folly sometimes to think okay you can save cost here if you get a good accountant to sort out your tax position you buy right and then you outsource some of the risk to a quality managing agent. That that's what I do. That's clearly what our you know sixty or thousand of our, our customers do. And it seems an obvious choice. And as I said, it can often be a folly thinking you save a few costs. But then, as I gave the example I gave you early on, the, the rents that typically track behind market market value are those where you know landlords are renting them out privately because you know they are not as maybe forthright maybe they're not able to you know because they've built that personal relationship with the tenant, able to increase the rents at the level that the market and the tenant can sustain and obviously there's a there's a kind of social piece to that making sure that it's well balanced and you know the tenant can afford it and you're not pushing anyone into you know financial difficulty but at the end of the day this is an investment and you've got to make mm. it work for you so I think all those things in balance point towards getting professionals in to do the job. But for those that can't square the circle and make it, you know, make it work, then then, yes, it's possibly best that you sort of, you know, cash your chips in and, um, and look for something else. But but invariably, if you set it up right, you know, buy to let can be a very sort of lucrative form of investment still.
3: Yeah, I I think that's very true. And I think just to give um, some numbers, if you like, to not increasing the rent, a lot of of landlords, they never get any credit for it, quite the opposite. If a tenant stays in their property for five years, they won't increase the rent. And I have this chat regularly online. Now, in social housing, they increase the rent by inflation plus a little bit extra pretty much every year. That's how they work. And the reason is, is because costs go up. So if I did one the other day, if you say five years ago rented property out for a thousand pounds that property now just to give you the same amount of money in your back pocket as five years ago it's got to be about 1250 potentially therefore you're losing 250 quid that's that's like a boiler in one year yeah, yeah. um or you know depending on big the house it's maybe two years so it is that tracking of the the rents versus inflation. And again, this leads back into not keeping up with the legislation or not necessarily being able to afford the the expert help of an agent, because you're not charging that, that slowly additional rent Um, And as a result of that, you've now got a lot less to spend on professional help. Therefore, you're much more likely to put yourself into a situation where you're uh, unbeknownst to you breaking the law. And of course, that's that's no defence.
0: Yeah, I was going to say just on on, on numbers, if, for example, you were renting out a property for a £1,000 a month and your ex's commission XYZ over the course of a year, Running costs meant that yeah, taking out mortgage from this, uh, your your profit was say eight hundred pounds a month out of that. So it's costing you two and a half grand to keep everything going. What would that look like today? What would your thousand pound look like today? A lot less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: I can work out the number. Oh, don't, I'll come off here! Let me just. Uh, so you want to know what a thousand? I think that is the calculation actually that I gave. Is it? Let me do yeah. it. yeah, let me do it. So if it's a thousand pounds and we're looking at five years ago. This is
0: like Countdown. I love this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is. If you saw me now, I'm kind of. I'm. I'm no. No good as them as. Three uh, from the
0: top, uh, please, Kate. <laughs> uh,
3: so you're looking at about five years ago. You're looking at about two percent a year. So, uh, so you'd have the money off. So that's about thousand pounds would be worth probably about 900 pound yeah moving forward so if you take it off and do do it the other way around
0: got it
1: so that's a valid point that kate's made around sort of if the investment's working you can invest more in it good quality of tenure for the tenant the tenant stays longer and you get this sort of <laughs> that sounds too corny this sort of virtuous circle where the investment stuff you know performs in the long term yeah. you know because you're, you're you've got the capital to keep up with the repairs
3: and the other thing people forget is if you do do that then if you have got a mortgage of course you improve the value of the property or at least retain its value and then what you can do is you can potentially lower your costs by remortgaging to uh, if you've got a better loan to value I think a lot of landlords see anything they spend as a cost whereas Michael's 100% right the majority of money you spend as a landlord is not a cost it's an investment in the value of your asset and in the service that you provide to the tenant and if you don't put that investment in you will not get the revenue and you will not grow the um, value of that asset as much as you could and that's not always understood just like the impact of inflation on a a landlord's earnings is not often understood.
0: So let's in conclusion, then let's go uh, to each of you uh, a kind of final line, if you would, on what land. I mean, we've covered a lot of it, but as a sort of succinct précis of what landlords really need to do ongoing to stay on the right side of the law. Michael,
1: either make sure you've got plenty of time to keep track with 400 rules uh, or get yourself a really good quality property team around you that can help you manage that risk and get the extra
2: reward. Mark. Yeah, so obviously, similar to what Michael said, but obviously making informed decisions about your property, being tied into like the local council, so you're keeping up to date with licensing criteria or future licensing criteria, as that seems to be quite the norm. And just adding yourself also uh, to newsletters that deal with the industry, so it comes into your mailbox rather than just rooting around on the internet trying to find out if legislation's live or not.
0: Yeah, and Kate.
3: Ignore what you read in the media. Sorry about that. (laughs) because <laughs> that's dangerous um definitely no all agents aren't the same so anybody can set up an agency uh which is frustrating but make sure you've got a ricks a member of ricks or a member of ALA to only pick those agents they are typically qualified to do the job and understand those rules and have training budgets um and If you can't do that, for example, your local authority might actually have a landlord group that you can join, uh, or they might have a newsletter, as uh, Mark mentioned, and then you've got landlord associations. So um, don't cost very much tax deductible. So there's lots of ways of doing it, but you've really got to look at your time that you're spending versus the investment of of giving the money to somebody else. And as Michael has said earlier, handing over some of that risk.
0: Indeed. Guys, thank you. Thank you to all of our guests. Michael Cook, Group Managing Director at LRG. Mark Jacomin, who is the Policy and Guidance Manager at LRG. And Kate Faulkner, Property Expert and Founder of Designs on Property. And, of course, do go to the LRG website, lrg.co.uk. That's lrg.co.uk. Make sure you follow this podcast as well so you get each new episode automatically. And we'll see you next time. The Property Crowd. Find out more at lrg.co.uk.